0: Welcome to The Extra Podcast, a production of Northview Community Church in Abbotsford, British Columbia. Your host, Jeff Ezra and Thalia, will be discussing the Bible, relevant issues, and current events each week. At Northview, we love to study God's Word and discuss how it applies to our lives, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously. So feel free to laugh with us and at us as we try to challenge and encourage you in your faith. Welcome to The Extra Podcast. Uh, My name is Jeff Bucknam, and I'm here interviewing Crystal Taves, Pastor Crystal Taves. That's me. Almost Master Crystal Taves.
1: Almost. And I say
0: that because you've been doing your uh, your master's degree just yeah, I know. recently.
1: And the clock is ticking down. I see only four more classes on my required list. Wow, how so, many do
0: you, t- do you do per term? Uh, just
1: one semester, one per semester. So
0: so two more years.
1: Yeah, like I'm doing summer Greek, so oh, I yeah. get to get two courses done in seven weeks I get to do eight months worth of work in seven weeks. Piece Over summer. Yeah, no problem. It's easy. That's yeah. how I did.
0: actually did a lot of that. Yeah,
1: I did Hebrew two years ago, so I kind of know what I'm getting into. Yeah, that's great. And great. then after that, I have... So next fall and next spring, I will be done my coursework by next April at And your degree
0: time. is a Master of Arts at Regent. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Master of Arts in Theology.
0: That's great. Yeah. Well, there's a lot more uh, to the background on how it is that you arrived at this place of so getting your Master of Arts in Theology. Um, so I want to know a little bit about you. I mean, I do, but I want the people to hear a little bit more about you, Crystal. Sure. Uh, you grew up as a small Chinese child. Is that true? No. Okay.
1: But I grew up not in Canada, so. Okay. That's true. Okay. Go? Yeah, no, okay. we're like, where did you, what? You didn't grow up in Canada? Well, I was in Nepal till I was four. Really? Yeah. So what I was What were you born, doing in Nepal? I was born at MSA Hospital Good old Abbotsford, and then my parents went with MCC and worked in a little town called Bootwall, Nepal, for three years, from when I was one till when I was four. Uh,
0: Your maiden name is? Newman. Newman. Is Is that a tried and true Mennonite name? I don't know.
1: You know what? We always thought it was, but my son Trevor was just at the Auschwitz Holocaust Museum, and he saw Newman in the names of... Jewish people that had gone through, uh-huh. and so we looked up Newman as an origin, and it has Jewish roots, yeah, so, I so I have not ever actually checked that out. So, oh, maybe you have but, Jewish background. I don't know, but my grandparents, and yeah, they're all, Menon- I Mennonite through and through four, like all four sides.
0: Okay, but so, like Mennonite brethren or Mennonite general? Brethren. Ooh, so like blue blood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good stuff.
1: So anyways, yeah, my parents felt a call to go overseas, and my dad ran. It was a technical school training um, boys to have a trade. So they would learn accountancy or woodworking or metalworking. And my dad was a business manager of the school. And he would go out and sell all the products they would make to make money for the school because he was a business guy. He has a business degree. And my mom ran the guest house there and we ran around as kids,
0: do you remember? Do you have memories? You said till you were four years old. Do I don't you have any. You have no memories of this.
1: No, but they took us back when I was sixteen, before I graduated from high school. Mm. They wanted us to see where we had grown up, and so they took us back for six weeks. So I have memories from then, and it was really neat actually then to um, meet a lot of the people that knew me as kids, and they pulled out their photo album of pictures of me on the soccer field. And oh
0: wow! And you like, feel That's connect- me.
1: Well, yeah, I know it felt like okay, these people know me, even though I don't remember yeah. them. So, so then we spent. Six weeks there, then, and then when Bob and I got married, uh, we went back for four months and volunteered out there. So All
0: right. we'll get to Bob.
1: Yeah, he it's can wait dark, his time.
0: One of those dark moments in your life that we'll <laughs> have to uh, we'll have to get through here in a minute. <laughs> Listen, so you grew up in a Christian family. You had some. You have brothers and sisters.
1: I have one brother. He's two years younger.
0: Okay. And uh, you grew up then after four years old in Abbotsford.
1: Yeah. My parents, when they came back between um, minutes, like they had kind of two years on the mission field and then came back in between, they bought a property five acres out in Bradner area. Yeah. And when we came back after um, the time on the mission field, they pitched a tent in the backyard and they started building a house and we had no running water and no electricity, but they built their little homestead and that's where they've, they're still there. So... Forty and some years little, later, they have a little pool there. They have been, a pool. I've been there. You have been there. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's lovely. Yeah, out there.
0: Yeah, and they have neighbors who smoke a lot of weed, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> yes, but they're lovely. So it's a lovely pool party if you ever get a chance. Yeah, that's to that's there. <laughs> very relaxing. Yeah. Um. Uh. So yeah, you you uh you grew up with you go to Mei. Uh,
1: high school. Okay. I went to Bradner Elementary.
0: Okay, so you were, you were a public school kid. Yep, explains, to grade seven. Explains a lot.
1: Yep, yep. And then I actually wanted to go to Clearbrook Junior, which was the public high school, because I wanted to stay with all my friends. Um, but my grandfather, who had been, a, my grandfather was principal of MEI, and then he thought he wanted to be this missionary in the public school. He went to Clearbrook Junior as a teacher and just hated it. And so my mom said, there's no way grandpa will be in favor of you going there. So I went to MEI. Okay. To please my grandfather.
0: And did you like and it?
1: I actually did. Yeah. Yeah. I MEI mean, was great.
0: So I yeah. got to tell you, I've been through the hallways of MEI. Yeah. And Crystal, I have seen your picture. I know. There's a lot of frizzy hair going on there. <laughs> it's poofy. Wow. It's the '80s. Yeah. Good the time. bangs. Crystal yeah. Newman. Oh yeah.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That was, it's really yeah. Very very curly. I liked it. Yeah. Was that a perm? That was yes. A perm. It was a perm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just making
1: sure. Now I have natural curl, but in high school I didn't. So. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I loved it there. I played basketball. What? And
0: what year did Run you graduate? Track, 1988. 1988. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then what did you do? Is immediately after that.
1: 1988. I um, went to well, I went to France right after for the summer. I wanted to learn French, and so I spent the summer on the. Did minute. you not learn French? in I did like, French immersion and stuff. No, nope, I just went regular high school French. But I okay. thought I would be like a. I wanted to be bilingual. That was my goal, and I didn't realize how no. I didn't realize okay, how hard it was. Okay, give me your best French right now. Oh no, not right now, Crystal.
0: You have to know. So you went to France for a year. Yeah. You have to know a, some French.
1: But you can't put me on the spot like that. I'll, <laughs> I'll think you're of some in phrase. Right now? Yeah. Well,
0: let's pretend we went to Montreal right now, and you had to order something. Um, Croque Monsieur. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: some frites.
0: Oh, there you go. Yeah. Pomfrit. <laughs> That's the best the you've potato got. Potato chips. I well, speak better f- French <laughs> than you do.
1: Yeah, I'm yeah. not good on the spot. That <laughs> kind of stuff. They have to kind of recall. It'll come back. Okay. But um, yeah, so I spent a summer on the Mediterranean there and then came back here. On the Mediterranean? Yeah, right, by the F- Italian-France border wow. with 85 Canadians. We had-
0: What were you doing?
1: Classes, French classes in the morning. And then we played volleyball and hung out on the beach all afternoon.
0: So good time.
1: It was great. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And
0: then you came back and you went to- UFV. UFE. And mm-hmm. what was your degree in at UFV? I
1: did, well, at that time it was just Fraser Valley College. Yeah. It was just a two-year thing. So I did two a year, year and a half there. And then I transferred to Simon Fraser University, and I had a Bachelor of Arts in English. What were you literature. planning on doing, Crystal? Where were I was you- going to be a high school teacher. Okay. Yep.
0: What did you ever end up teaching high school no. at any point?
1: No. So what happened was about, so Bob and I got married in the midst of me being in university. He was in school too.
0: Okay. A little background on Bob. Where's he from?
1: Bob is from Saskatoon.
0: Okay. He- and you met Bob where?
1: Here. Okay. In Abbotsford. So he is... What four- was he doing in Abbotsford? He is four years older than me, and he came out here, went to Columbia Bible College for two years, and then he went back to Saskatoon, and after having two years out here, he was like, I can't stay in Saskatoon. So he came back, moved out here permanently, and when he moved out here, um, I was just graduating from high school, and I met him like a year or two later. He okay. started attending our church, knew some friends there, and so, Yeah.
0: Little and you're the church that you attended, Bakerview, is Baker that right? View, for yeah. all those years? Was that yeah. yeah, Bakerview, uh, Mennonite Brethren?
1: Yeah, my grandpa was the first moderator. He what's a orchestrated moderator? Orchestrated the split for those off of you who of, don't, don't know, like, he what was it, like first kind of leader of the elder board, okay. like the chair of the board. Yeah, and He
0: orchestrated a split,
1: well, not the split, but he Clearbrick Church. They came off of Clearbrook Church. Okay. Clearbrook Church was all German-speaking, and my grandpa was like, my kids are not going to want to go to a German-speaking church all their life. They want something that's going to be in English, and he was told you can't—at that time, he was told you can't become a Christian in English. What? And so he thought, really? we need to start a different church. That was kind of the mentality at Clearbrook Church, that it was—you had to be German. <laughs> and so, because I don't sorry, know why— I'm just trying to
0: think. Of, so German was the heavenly language? I there? guess.
1: Okay. Even though— it was Greek in the Bible and Hebrew and Aramaic that Jesus spoke. Other oh, cl- German's closer, I guess, in yeah. English. So anyways, he orchestrated a very, it was a very congenial, kind of ended up being a church plant. And okay. he's he planted Bakerview. And my family has been there ever since. So
0: your family planted Bakerview Church.
1: Well, my grandpa was the first, yeah, he was wow. the one that started it. They were charter members. Wow. So my aunt was the first one that got married there and my parents shortly after. That's remarkable. So... Yeah, so that's where there I grew for, up
0: for a number of years. But you met Bob, and you were in, in those years. You got married to him. Yep. And why, by the way?
1: Because <laughs> he made me laugh. <laughs> Bob has those a those great of sense of humor. Uh, yeah.
0: Crystal's husband is a real estate agent in town. He's actually an excellent real estate agent in town. So there we go. Plug for Bob. There we go. Taves. Uh, he, but he is a delightful guy. Just warm-hearted. Yeah. So if you like your real estate agents not taking themselves too seriously, Bob Taves is your dude. He's a good guy. He yeah. is a very good guy. Yeah. And so um you met him what year did you get married?
1: 1990. I was only 20. Oh years wow. Old, and he 20 was... years old. I know, I was young. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. No.
0: <laughs> I thought she, my wife, yeah, we got married. I think she was in 20 as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of women make mistakes at those ages. <laughs>
1: <laughs> So. I haven't regretted it, oh, so good. that's good. That's good. Not sure. But I think about my daughter, who's now twenty, turning 21, I, and I think, wow, I was already married a year. And you think, oh, that's dear. That's crazy. Like, yeah, what was you, I doing? Don't you dare, honey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, but you ended up uh, meeting him. You got married in 1990, and yeah. you guys lived in Abbotsford.
1: Yeah, we have only lived in two houses, even though he's a realtor. But yeah, we okay. lived there.
0: He wasn't a realtor at that time, though. No. He was doing something else.
1: He was going to school. Um, he was going towards a business degree, Mm -hmm. and then because his personality is so outgoing and personable and stuff, he thought, well, I'm going to end up in sales, and he didn't want to be in sales. The salespeople that he had seen were people that were always away from home, and he didn't want to be a guy who was gone Monday to Friday, and so he thought, well, the the best um, kind of day-to-day sales is real estate that he could think of, so he ended up just getting a business diploma, and then he got his real estate degree, and he's done that since 1999, so nine years into our marriage.
0: And you never and you never went and taught high school. Instead, no. instead, what did you do?
1: So that's when we were, Bob and I took four months off, like I said, a semester and went to Nepal. And sometimes when you have four months off to kind of think about your life and your direction and what you're going, um, I actually felt, I have not felt very often in my life that God directly intervened to kind of show me what to, go, to do. But I felt like one day while we were actually on a hike in Nepal that God said to me in some way in my spirit that you're not going to be a high school teacher. And like I said, I've maybe f- had that kind of experience once or twice in my life, and I wrestled with it the whole time I was in Nepal. I felt like this door was closing for me, and I didn't know why. I came home, and I actually got a letter from SFU saying that I got rejected <laughs> for the PDP program, and mm-hmm. so then that door was closed. At least I could have reapplied, but I just felt like this was not the direction that God you, had now, for me. So,
0: so my question is, I mean, when you get this impression, yeah. how did you process that?
1: I talked about it with Bob and with all the people that I knew at the mission field. Right. And I sent my mom and dad a note and I said, this is what I kind of feel like I'm not supposed to do it. And, and they, they all affirmed that? They were all kind of wondering, mm. like, because that had been my direction. My grandpa, who I said, like, was a principal of MEI, like, he was tried and true. Like, you have to be an educator and yeah. you have to teach history and you have to teach, yeah. right? And he kind of wondered what I was doing, but they all kind of thought, well, we'll see it see how it goes in the end. Right. And I remember actually writing my grandpa a letter when I started writing or teaching Bible study mm. and said, I think and now I know how I want to teach or what I want to teach. Yeah. And for him, that was just a real encouragement.
0: And Crystal, how did you get involved in ministry then? Like uh, after all, after all these years?
1: Yeah, so I, because I didn't know what I was going to do, I just kind of felt like I shouldn't go into teaching. That just felt like what I was... Um, not supposed to do, Bob said, well, let's start having a family. (laughs) So it ended up that we did. And when I was home with kids, um, we had a woman at Bakerview who was um, kind of, she was teaching at Can-IL with Wycliffe Bible Translators. She was just there for a brief season, but she started up a women's Bible study at the church at Bakerview. And I was home with kids and so I started going. And so this woman, Marty, kind of took me under her wing and said, I see leadership potential in you. And she encouraged me to do all these precept training and all these different courses. And then when she actually left um, to go back to, now they live in um, North Carolina, working with IL or with Wycliffe, she kind of passed the reins to me and said, "Will you kind of keep this going. And so that was my first, like I said, I realized, oh, I love teaching, but it's teaching the Bible that I love doing. And so, yeah, it was just a volunteer opportunity.
0: And then you ended up coming to to Northview through a—we uh, had an opening, as I recall. It yeah. was after I, I, I got here. I remember uh, the former uh, women's pastor, Bev Peters, she ended up hiring you to be an admin yeah. assistant. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you ended up coming to Northview. It wasn't because you chose to come to Northview.
1: Well, we had started attending because our boys, one of the reasons was our boys were both playing hockey, mm-hmm. and Bob is, just wanted to be involved in their hockey coaching. And so there's about four years where we never went to church as a family because Bakerview just had Sunday morning services. And we finally sat down one day and thought, this is stupid. Our kids are never seeing us in church as a family. We don't want this to be the legacy that we leave them. And so our solution at the time was to start coming Saturday nights. And so that was why I saw the job opportunity or the option, actually. Mm. So we were here one Saturday night. Uh, I had just thought of starting to look for work because we were in the midst of the big real estate recession in 2008. And it just felt prudent to have more than one income because I was working for Bob at the time. We were home with kids and I was working for him. And so um, I started look or I saw this opportunity. I thought, wow, I wonder if this is where... God would have me go. And so I applied for the admin assistant job and had the opportunity to work under Bev for two years and learned a lot from her. She gave me a lot of opportunity to um, lead stuff. And so Well, yeah, she was great. the
0: one that when, when she left, she was the one that she was relatively adamant that you carry on her work here. Yeah. And then we, we put you on the...
1: On the uh, hot seat. Well,
0: we did, yeah, we gave you a year to fail and <laughs> yeah. you never did. Yeah. <laughs>
1: 11. I know. I call it my year-long job interview. It was basically... It was basically, we'll see how you do it this, Crystal, and we'll right. let you know in no June. No pressure, yeah. Crystal. It's
0: not like anyone's watching everything you do. Yeah. But no, you did. You did great. And then uh, I want to get into a little bit of your passions for your ministry. I know that you have a particular love for the Word of God and making sure that women learn it and yeah. understand it and some of that kind of thing. But before we do, I, I am... You do have one part of your story that we haven't talked about yet, and that is that you have three children—two yeah. uh, boys and a girl. Yeah. But you also had another. Yeah. Uh, that was probably—I'm assuming—that's one of the hardest moments of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Can you just tell us what happened?
1: Sure. So um, Clayton was born um, 1996. He's our oldest, and then Jessica 1998. And then we thought we might, that might be it. We might just have two kids. But then found out that I was pregnant with a third. And uh, went for early ultrasounds because um, I had had a tubal pregnancy in between. And so they were worried all whenever I got pregnant, they would get me for an early ultrasound because they didn't want that to happen again. So we found out really early on that I was pregnant with twins. And so we were like, wow, this is going to be and it kind of an upheaval in our lives. And we were living in a tiny little house and started renovating the house to make room for these, these twins that were going to come. Um, and then went for my regular ultrasound eight weeks later, when they normally have it around 18 weeks, and they said, oh, there's an issue here. Um, this one baby isn't growing at the same rate as as they would say baby A and baby B. Went. Right. And baby A wasn't growing as big as baby B. And so then I was put on bed rest and assigned to Children's Hospital and was in and out of Children's Hospital once a week for testing and follow-up. And the, They gave me all the options of what I could do and abortion and all these kind of things and how if one thing happened to one baby, it would affect the other. And so it was a very... How did you process
0: those conversations? Yeah.
1: Um, Just talking through that, I just wanted to leave this up to my body and up to the Lord in terms of what would happen um, to the babies. I felt like God had given us these babies and I didn't want to do anything that I would regret later, that I had done anything that would cause... Any either of them to be harmed because of a decision I made? I wanted to leave it in his hands. So, but that was interesting to walk through with social workers and doctors. Right? What are the, what are the things that they were concerned about and how it could impact my health? Were you getting a lot of advice?
0: I'm assuming that you would back in the what was this in the 2000 what?
1: It was uh, 2000 is when they were born. Yeah, so that was 2000. Yeah, the spring of
0: 2000. So I'm assuming that you would have gotten quite a bit of uh, advice from them. Yeah. Then the advice would have would have been what?
1: Well, because I think if it would just been one baby that was trouble in trouble, they would have suggested abortion. But because yeah. um they thought, well, there is one healthy baby here, they were trying to do things that would be not harming obviously baby B. E, who ended up being Trevor. Um so but it was things like amniocentesis, a couple of different tests that they wanted me to do just so that I would know, like, does this baby have downs? Does it have yeah, yeah. some kind of thing else? And I just wasn't when you see the the potential effects, at least at that time of some of the studies, I thought like, I just don't want to do anything that I'm going to say, oh, I caused that labor or I caused that premature something to happen, right? I just felt like I wanted to leave it in God's hands. So you ended
0: up delivering two two children.
1: So I ended up, um, so that was beginning of June that we found out about that. I was on bed rest and all that summer. And then August August 28th, um, I all of a sudden woke up in the morning and felt oh, I feel better. And I thought, is this a good sign or a bad sign? And I realized later that week that that's probably the day that the baby had passed away because my body was no longer trying to keep this baby alive, right? It had been like sucking everything, I think, from me in order to keep this baby going. And uh, then September um, 5th, I went into labor and I didn't know what would happen. I went to the Abbotsford Hospital and they transferred me to VGH and after about 24 hours of labor, he wheeled me into the delivery room. Again, no idea what would happen. And um, baby A, who we named Alex, mm-hmm. came out. And then my, uh, everything closed up. And Trevor stayed in for another month mm-hmm. at Children's Hospital. And so I had a month where I could kind of grieve the loss of Alex and then prepare for Trevor. And I grieved way much, way more after. But my biggest fear when I found out that he had passed away that Alex had passed away is the thought of that delivery room. And what do I do when I'm delivering a dead baby and yeah. an alive baby at the same time? Like, how am I going to navigate that? Yeah. And God gave me the option of having two separate events. Yeah, um, I'm so grateful for the social workers and people that were at the hospital during that time. Um, because Clayton and Jessica, who were four and two, came there right after I had delivered Alex. And I didn't know what to do. Like, what do you do with a little kid do they, you show them their dead baby brother yeah. or not? And the social workers walked me through all that and they came in and they held him and experienced that experience of mom had a baby and now he's not here anymore. And they talked about it for years, mm. years and years after. But I was grateful to get that advice because I wouldn't have known what to do in yeah. that moment. So That's, then, yeah, so then Trevor was born at the end of September. Yeah. And he was six weeks in the NICU, I, the Neonatal ICU and then he came home and has grown up into a guy with lots of personality and life and energy. Trevor's so, a great guy. <laughs> yeah. He and Ethan. Yeah. Our great our, buddies, Jeff's son. Are yeah. Good friends. Yeah.
0: Um some people if they have a situation like that in their lives, uh, it becomes grounds for them to significantly doubt God or get angry with God. Uh because it's it's filled with questions like yeah. you know Lord why why would you give uh, life to a, a baby and then take it away and then have me deliver yeah that right so like how did you how did you deal with all of all of that did you or is that was that never something that went through your mind
1: yeah it was definitely part of, it was part of my praying like I didn't know what to pray for how do you pray for what God's will is when you know what you want your will to be right in the situation so that was part of it. Um, afterwards, uh, grieving, like I remember sitting in church and just, I could sit through a message, but when the worship songs came on, I would just be bawling because to actually put voice to worshiping God in the midst of pain was, was difficult to me. And I felt, um, I wasn't angry, but I felt it was like a fear of trusting him. Mm. Like, I feel like if I put my faith totally in God, I can't control the outcome kind of with this weird idea that I could... Somehow otherwise, which you can't anyways, but this idea of like, can I trust God again because he took away something or because I know God could have saved yes, him, right? Have. Like I have full faith that he could have, right? And that's what we were praying for, yeah. that the pregnancy would go on long enough and because yet- there's act- nothing actually physically wrong with him. Like when he was born, the doctors looked like there's nothing, phys- there's no reason they mm-hmm. could come to as to why.
0: And so you're left to, to live with those questions. Yeah. Do they still plague you or trouble you, or are you? it is that is that one of those things that you've decided? Look, I'm gonna have to put in the back burner and just trust that the Lord knows.
1: Yeah, or... I think I've seen I've seen um, to use a Christianese term, fruit of it, in the sense that um, it's given me like when I think of what I can walk alongside with more credibility. Now, with people than what I could have as a twenty-year-old if I was a women's pastor. Like, it's given me that kind of life experience and that ability to say with people, "Yeah, I know what grief has been like," and I think that's been beneficial for my work here. Yeah how um, how
0: would you how would you uh, counsel someone who's facing something? I mean, maybe not that specific challenge, but but uh, an unexpected death or uh, an unanswered prayer. That seems to be I mean, obviously life and health for babies seems to be a pretty standard expectation. Yeah. For what God should do. Yeah. It doesn't I mean, seem do like it. something that would be outside of no, his will, no. right? You're like, yeah. This is a pretty easy one. Yeah. And yet it didn't turn out that way. So how would you how would yeah. you counsel somebody who is facing a disappointment with God, kind of thinking, but this is just something that you got clearly God, you would want this marriage to go right, or you'd want this child to live, or my, you know, yeah. whatever.
1: Yeah. I think for me, one of the key things was um, being involved in a community that was surrounding me with people who kind of kept loving me and caring for me. And so that idea of, I think sometimes when we're in grief, we want to pull away from people who are going to speak into our lives and who are going to encourage us. So I'd say to stay connected to, to community and to be honest about your frustrations and your things that you're experiencing and your grief with people around you. And then I think it's just been, for me, like just continuing to get to know God through his word and through not experience of him in a weird way, but just walking life with him and seeing that I can trust him in all kinds of different situations that people throughout history and in the Bible have trusted him with all kinds of situations and he's worked it out in the end. Yeah. And so I think it's being immersed as much as you can in his word and learning to trust in his character, even though when you don't have the answers for for why something's happened, yeah. knowing that he can bring good From these tough situations,
0: yeah, and there are these questions that you'll always have, I think, in your mind. I mean, I have them. You have them. Longer you live, the more disappointments you'll face because you think your life ought to go one way, and it doesn't. In whatever circumstance, and God doesn't answer a prayer, even the little things or big things. Whether it's, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, these are the challenges that we face. Why doesn't God answer the prayer I want? And the, uh, the approach some of us take is that we get really angry and bitter, and you know, I'm not going to believe in you now, God. Or yeah. I do believe in you, but you can't be trusted in any way. Yeah. Or we end up kind of admitting our own humility, our our own sorry frailty, and yeah. and in humility yeah. say, Lord, I this is one that I'm I still don't know the answers to, yeah. but I'm gonna. I'm gonna trust that somewhere in your in your wisdom, there's an answer that maybe one day I'll see, and if I don't, at least I'll still see you,
1: and I'll see him again. Like this baby will be, I'll meet him, right? Yeah, Alex in heaven. That'll be remarkable, won't it? Yeah, (laughs) great. I know. So that's a hope too, right? That this this whatever happened now isn't the final say in the story. Yeah.
0: So anyway, uh, that that was now eight nineteen years ago.
1: Well, yeah, like the September, yeah, September sixth, be nineteen years, years ago. Yep.
0: That's right. Uh-huh. Yep. And, uh huh. Yeah. And you are currently the past. What are we called? You're the discipleship pastor of our church. Well, totally <laughs> What's not- my title? You're the discipleship pastor. Although I don't think you are officially yet because I don't think we so, haven't no. changed your title. But you no. are on your way. Yep. To being the, the discipleship pastor of our church, but you came and you got involved in uh, as the women's pastor. Yeah. And have the reason that you'll you'll be shifting and overseeing the women's ministry and the whole discipleship ministry is because of your heart for the word of God. How how did you how did you get there? Like when I say your heart for the word of God, Crystal, like you're really you wanna you wanna get people to learn how to study the
1: Bible. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Um, well, I think just because I realize like that that's the only that's the only true standard that we have for our life. That's the only thing that's gonna get us through. That's the only encouragement. Yeah, but can't
0: people just learn it at church? like listen to the pastor preach and stuff? Like, you're you're pretty adamant that that's not enough.
1: No, it has to be. I mean, I would love everyone to be in the Word daily, but I mean, to have Just some kind of it? regularly studying, qu- praying through it, okay. asking questions of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I have found it, like I've said, in those times of sorrow and trial and uncertainty, like that was my lifeline. And so I want other people to experience as their lifeline and not as, um, like, people... Some people, if they don't know how to read it properly, they'll just kind of see it as a self-help book, right? And I just want people desperately to understand the Bible for what it is, like a story of God revealing himself in history to people and showing himself to be who he is, um, and us reading it rightly so that we have the right expectations of who he is, what we can expect from our life, and yeah. So when you say read, reading it, it
0: rightly, so I want I'll engage with me a little bit. So uh, what are... The, the most irritating to Crystal Taves, the, what are the most irritating ways that people don't read the Bible rightly?
1: Well, they don't understand what it is. So like I said, they'll pick it up like a self-help book and they'll just kind of look for little bits and phrases they can add to their life. Like it's
0: this magic it, incantation book and that you yeah. can lift everything out and speak these little words over your life and yeah, the magic in, fairy dust.
1: Exactly. I was in Fort Langley a while ago and I was reading, it was not a... Christian bookstore, which is a bookstore, but they had like the marijuana Bible and the fisherman's Bible and the... I'm sorry, the, the what?
0: The okay, but I'll there's explain. There's marijuana Bible?
1: But, and the crystal Bible, <laughs> but they were they it too. It wasn't like Bibles <laughs> with marijuana stuff in it or Bibles with crystal stuff. It was like a book on marijuana and they called oh, it, it the marijuana Bible, right? Okay. And it was a book on crystals and they called it the crystal Bible, like, you know, like the, yeah, yeah. the you know, new age crystals. And it was a book on cooking and they called it cooker's Bible or whatever, the chef's Bible. And I thought, well, that's what people think. They just think of—they put the word Bible on the back of anything that they yeah. think is like a self-help book. Yeah. And that's how people think of the Bible, is it's just this kind of nice little thing of platitudes that you can decide whether you like them or not, whether they fit in with your life or not. And that just drives me crazy. So that's—but the, the—
0: What's wrong with that?
1: Because you're just taking little bits of this big story and making them try to apply to your life when they're, they're completely out of context— you're not understanding the, the, what the So are you saying that message... God doesn't
0: do, God doesn't, the, 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 so if I take something like that and I quote it out of its context, that's not what God's saying?
1: It's not the fullness of what it's saying. You may be distorting part of it. You mm. might actually get it right sometimes, but in terms of... Even a you... blind
0: squirrel, though, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> sometimes you just, oh, he got it right.
1: Yeah. But yeah. Well, it just it, I don't understand how people get so upset when you'll watch a news article or whatever, and someone will get mad, oh, you took my words out of context, or you, you know, people will get so upset when they get misrepresented by somebody or misquoted, and yet they do that to the Bible all the time, and this is God's word, like the holy written by the Holy Spirit, and they have no thought, like, oh, we should actually treat this carefully, and we should learn how to read it, and we should read a whole book at a time, not just take out three words and make a whole sermon on it. Yeah.
0: So, so. is that the, that's the big one that drives you nuts? The out of context. Yeah. Yeah. Are
1: there and then, others. Well, putting. Like I said, if you don't understand the Bible as one big piece, one big story of revelation, you just kind of match different sections together in ways that don't make any sense. And you kind of cobble together this theology by taking this piece from Haggai and this piece from—which yeah. is, I guess, out of context, the same kind of idea. It is, but a lot of you people stick will, them
0: together and you come up with some weird theology. With some weird thing. Right.
1: And so many people will— just preach, and they'll use the Bible kind of to jump off, to get onto their own little tangent about something they want to speak about, not actually saying, I want to kind of teach what God's teaching here. It's like they use it as a springboard for their own advice or their own, I don't know.
0: So what would you say to somebody uh, who, I got an email the other day, asked, the person mentioned that uh, the church they attend, the, the the pastor got up at a meeting, uh, and it was a Bible study, actually, a midweek Bible study, and the pastor said, oh... I wish we just didn't have to do a lot with the Bible today. Like, oh. So, what would, we, so how, what would you say to somebody who, who's like all this Bible talk and stuff? Like, how how would you re how would you kindle a love for Scripture for them?
1: This is the pastor that's saying it. Yeah, let's, forget, let's
0: pretend it's <laughs> not horrible. a pastor. <laughs> I think, ah, but you know what? Like, if you've been a Christian for a lot of years, you end up thinking to yourself, "I don't want to," do, you know, like, "I don't want to do this anymore." Or the Bible, blah blah blah. Like, what what gives the Bible? Uh, life to you like in like what is it that you would recommend to somebody about about that like how would you help help people so love somebody
1: that just wanted to yeah study the Bible on their own and kind of experience I would say read through something really slowly like the Psalms and just pray through it mm-hmm. like as ideas come up that talk about you know how great God is like pray songs pray praises to him as if as the Psalms expose areas in which us humans fail, like confess things to him, make it actually medit- meditate on it so that you see how God, God's word is guiding you to praise him, how God's word's guiding you to confess things and is actually personalizing like your experience with him in the sense that the Psalmists are guiding you to, to make it a heart thing, not just a head thing. Yeah. Right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm assuming that... Um You've been really helped a lot by some of the precept stuff as well, and the joy of discovery that comes when you get involved in scripture and, yeah. and see it in its context yeah. and realize it has meaning meaning there. Yeah. Uh, where did that? It, did that? Did you grow a love for scripture because you because you got involved in that? I mean, I I know for myself the f- times in my life where I, st- I I mean I started going to I went to seminary eventually because I. Fell in love with the idea of a, a what it felt like a treasure hunt to me. Yeah, like you'd be studying the scripture, and all of a sudden, it was just like the riches of it would be opened up to you because you were looking at words and phrases and how they go together. And yeah, all of a sudden, you're like, oh my goodness, this actually has meaning. Like yeah. this author meant something by what they said. Yeah,
1: and it actually ties together and it coheres and right. it's exciting and, then, and oh it pushes you to do something. This yeah. line
0: before explains yeah. this following line. So yeah. these words, and and then you get frustrated because you see that something that has been told you since you were a kid that this verse means you're like, that's not what it means at yeah. all. Yeah, yeah. And then, but there's that there's a joy of discovery in there. And, yeah. And I'm assuming that that's been a big part of your...
1: Yeah, and I think, like, I always had a heart for reading the Bible, I think even as a teenager. Like, I enjoyed it, and I would kind of meditate on it and that kind of thing as a teenager. But when I started teaching it, And had that responsibility of actually having to really know what I was talking about. I think that's when that joy of discovery and stuff came because I just, I had to be prepared to teach it. And then I realized the riches of it. And that's when I realized that I loved that more than like an English teacher because I loved the prep. Like the prep was changing me, right? The prep to teach was convicting me and challenging me and causing me to look at myself and... And it was encouraging me, and so I thought, oh well, like, this is amazing prep work <laughs> because it's working on my own heart yeah and a lot and of the like... stuff
0: that you guys do in the women's ministry and 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 the men's ministry that we that we run now uh, is it's bible focused it's Bible study, yeah, but it's a Bible study that's that way that it's it's more of a it's it's not just elementary questions raised around a group of people sipping coffee no you no know? it's or how do you feel about this, and how do you feel about that? The, yeah. It's not. It's not that. It's what does this verse say in the, or what? Do, what does this word mean in these other contexts? What does it mean in this context? What then does that mean regarding the meaning that the author has in this place? And
1: yeah, and how does that fit in with the whole biblical story right. of how this idea gets developed throughout the Bible? And yeah. so you
0: end up inviting people into the process. Yep. Right. And
1: that's what people love. Like people. I just chatted with a woman last week and said, like, you know. Previously, when we had done some kind of video studies, I felt like I was being spoon-fed the teacher's kind of final stuff. And it wasn't bad stuff, right? Like what this teacher was telling me. But she says, now you're teaching us kind of to eat on our own, right? Yeah, you're teaching us yeah, how to look at a text. And so we take them through every time. We'll go through a time of obs- observing, kind of just looking at what's in the text and then interpreting it and then saying, okay, and then how does this t- idea get developed in the rest of the Bible? And people they're learning a process so that they can now encounter kind of any book of the Bible and okay, okay, these are the steps, these are the tools. And the fact that they're doing it, I think when you talked about what do you do to rekindle someone's love, I think when you do it with a group of eight or 10 people and you see someone else have an aha moment and say, I never understood, like we were doing Exodus this last year. One woman had never made the connection between Jesus dying on the Passover and this whole picture of the Passover in yeah. the Old Testament of like the blood and the lamb and us being saved from judgment because of the blood of the lamb. And she just, like her brain exploded. Like yeah. she all of a sudden understood Jesus's death in a different way than she right. had ever had before. And so you're sitting around a table with 10 people like this and you see people all of a sudden, oh, like this yeah. actually makes sense. Yeah. And, it, and all these pieces draw together and it just is encouraging yeah. to you and it gives you a greater love for the word and for what God's done through giving us the word.
0: Yeah, so listen, you you t- you have a class that you are putting on. Yeah. Uh can I advertise that class yes. right now? Yes. So there's a class that you are yeah. teaching that
1: or that you're leading that is how to study the Bible. Kind of, yeah. So yeah. tell me about it. So um a couple of years ago we were at the Gospel Coalition conference, Women's Gospel Coalition and they talked about this class. This group called the Simeon Trust, and they put on courses on how to teach the Bible. And they said, there's one going to be offered in Vancouver, BC, next year. And so we signed up for it. And anyways, since then, that was 2013, um, we've just kind of regularly, we went to the first couple conferences where they taught kind of these Bible study techniques, and then we've just been teaching them at women's ministry and at now at men's ministry and care group, community group leaders and stuff. And so we're doing it eight eight sessions in four weeks, so like two, two kind of principles or ideas a week and um just teaching people how to be good bible study bible readers and bible teachers yeah. so
0: so it's only 4 weeks yep. and it it's starting in
1: May 22nd May 22nd
0: and yep. if somebody wants to find out about it it's for for anybody it's for men, men and women, and women. Yep. like if you want to if you want to learn the joy of discovery in reading scripture and understand how to interpret it and apply it to your yep. life we've got 4 weeks where you can learn that
1: morning and evening so if people want to come in the morning, they can. If they want to come in the evening, it's going to be the same people teaching morning and evening, the same material. And I'm going to be doing some of it, and we're getting a bunch of our immersed students to do some. So Freddie and Colin and Kendra. Don't tell them
0: Freddie's involved.
1: (laughs) it will be great. And Greg Harris. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be good.
0: So uh, how do they get in touch with you?
1: Uh, On the website, under... I mean, they can email me at women at northview.org, but to sign up for the course, you just go under... Uh, grow on the website and under discipleship, and it's listed there. Okay. And um, yeah, we have people from Northview. And then we also have some people from the village who are coming. We have some teachers from MEI who are coming. Mm-hmm. So it's open to, to whoever lots wants of to come. So yep. if
0: you're interested in something like that, uh, give yourself a fishing pole. Yeah. Right? This is where we're handing them out. So yeah. you should come along. Four weeks, we'll help you assemble that pole, and then you can go fishing in yeah. the scriptures and yeah. find all sorts of fish there. That's the goal. Crystal, thank you so much for spending time with us for a you're few welcome. minutes. It was fun. Yeah, you should. Uh, Crystal, you're not the same person as Thalia, though. No. People in our church think <laughs> that Crystal and Thalia are the same person. They, they do. Are, they, they are yeah. not. Yeah. No. Are, you, are you? You're no, not. you are not. No, okay. Because no. I've never seen the two of you in the same <laughs> room. But <laughs> just kidding.
1: Yeah. The funniest was one Sunday, I was in the Welcome Center, and I had my name tag on. And someone came up to me and said, Thalia, you're wearing the wrong name tag. <laughs> they were so sure that I was Thalia that they thought, she must be wearing Crystal's you name tag. You should go with that next that time. That was awesome. I know.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 Anyway. Well, good. Uh, thanks a lot for spending time with us. Thanks to Josh for sitting and being our
1: technical, technical producer
0: director. Are you okay being called a director? Yeah. Okay. He's shrugging and saying, sure, whatever.
1: Yeah.
0: Anyway, uh, take care. We'll talk to you next week.
1: Thank you.